Yeah, and I think, uh, Jeremy, to your point a minute ago about the, the length of time, you know, the time from my grad school paper and research in 2006 to actually taking action or feeling a calling was 2013, so that's seven years. And so I think that's part of the discipleship journey as well, right? Listening to God, receiving hints along the way. And then sometimes there's, you know, God eventually is pushing us out of the nest and making things so uncomfortable so that we have no other way to turn. Because I think we would say we eventually got to the place in 2013 where if we didn't take steps to begin the church, that we were feeling disobedient to the call of God on our life. Welcome to Discipleship Conversations, a Mission Alive podcast with Jeremy Hoover and Stephen Carazel. Welcome, friends. Thank you for joining us. Uh, This is our first conversation with uh, one of the Mission Alive church planters, Wes and Amanda Gunn. Uh, This is part one of our conversation. Uh, Part two will uh, be part of the next episode after this one. Uh, Jeremy, what stood out to you about this conversation what should our listeners be listening for? Yeah, I'm really thankful for this particular interview. I knew of Wes just through Mission Alive. We'd been on some of the same training calls, but I didn't know much about him and I didn't know Amanda at all. And I think what really, for me, what really comes out in this interview is a story that shows how their family moved from, you know, one thing to another in, in church planting. And um, I, I really felt like I, I got the heart of who they are in the stories that they shared about developing a church plan in, in their neighborhood. How about you? Yeah, I really appreciated uh, the things that uh, occurred along the way, uh, the, the way it started, but also just the way the things that occurred along the way. It was a seven year journey as they talk about it. It's not a quick decision. It's a long process of growing. And uh, I think that's uh, something that's important. Uh, I think we've talked about this before. Uh, you know, we're talking a lot about Mission Alive and what Mission Alive is doing uh, in church planters and, and resourcing different things. But when we talk about important, uh, important things for disciples to do and to learn to do is listening to God and uh, this is a little bit about their process of listening to God. And as we think about listening to God through prayer, through scripture, through mission, as we talk about in discipleship cohorts, uh, I think an exercise for us is listening to God through this story and maybe through all the stories that we hope to, to, to portray this season, uh, all the different interviews, uh, listening for things that connect with your own story, uh, where, is their journey like your journey or what is something that they've done that has uh, connected or can teach you how to react to, to situations? So without further ado, we want to get into our interview with Wes and Amanda Gunn. So we're visiting today with Wes and Amanda Gunn. Glad to have you guys with us. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Just tell us a little bit about who you are as, as people. Sure. Um, We are located just outside of Montgomery, Alabama, in a little suburb called Wetumpka, which is a Creek Indian name. It's a growing area here, and uh, both of us are from Alabama. I'm from Montgomery originally, born and raised, and Amanda is from just outside of Birmingham. We met at Auburn University 
in the late 90s and um, have lived here since we got married in 2002. We have two kids. One is about to turn 16 and entering driving phase. And then we have a 12-year-old girl as well. So our lives stay pretty busy. Yeah, that's cool. I, I have only been in Alabama once. I was driving from Arkansas through to Atlanta to visit with my supporting church there. And I can't remember exactly where I was in the state, but man, it was gorgeous that the part of the state that I was driving northern through. Side. Yeah, the northern side. And then here in, in Montgomery, we have a lot of the Civil War and Civil Rights history uh, that is phenomenal to experience. Mm, okay. If I ever get down for a visit one day, I'll call on you guys to show me around. Yeah. Most people don't know Martin Luther King Jr.'s first church that he ever pastored was here in Montgomery and just one block from our state capitol. So there's a lot of stuff to see. And of course, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat here in Montgomery. And so there was a lot of earth shattering events that happened just a few miles from where we live. Wow. Amanda, what would you like people to know about you? Um, well, yeah, I grew up just south of Birmingham, so not quite where we are now, about an hour and a half away, and have um, lived in Alabama my whole life, uh, except for a short stint of an internship in Miami, so that was a bit of a, a jump for me, but I um, met Wes, like you said, in Auburn, and we've just been I guess, friends and together for about more than half our life now. So that's um, a lot, mostly about me, I guess. Nice. Why don't you guys give us a kind of like a big picture overview of your church plant? Sure. A uh, big picture would be we um, live in a growing suburb of uh, Montgomery that has experienced explosive growth, new schools, new neighborhoods, even through the 2008 recession, even through the pandemic, new houses still going up left and right. Yet there had only been one church started in this area in the last 25 years. And uh, it started off as a, the ideas were birthed out of a class that I had with Galen Van Reenen at Abilene Christian University on church planting and did some research about this county and the numbers of unchurched or disconnected people. And that began to stir something in us. That was in 2006. And that final paper went in a drawer, not to see the light of day for a, a while, but there was some things that were birthed in us. And we really began to experience some heart for our neighbors, some convictions for people that we are in closest proximity to. So at the time, uh, I was serving as a missions minister for a church and traveling all over the world, coordinating full-time missionaries and short-term teams. And God gave us this conviction that we were doing good things, but we were neglecting our immediate neighbors. Um, I, to be honest, and Amanda knew more names than I did, but I didn't even know the names of some of my closest neighbors across the street. You know, we'd wave and be friendly. And there was a, a conviction um, where a, a neighbor uh, across the street, I had noticed that the yard, an older couple, their yard was 
unkept and, you know, started wondering what was going on. But this went on for months until finally a next door neighbor said, oh, yeah, she's had breast cancer for six months and she's been in treatment and very sick, you know. And then all of a sudden there's just this conviction, man, what a jerk, you know, that I've been. I should have been out doing the yard. (laughs) And yet I didn't even know there was an issue going on in their life. And so we began to uh, make some changes in our lives. One of those changes was that I began inviting two guys in my community into a discipling relationship uh, for a year. And I landed on a curriculum using uh, by Greg Ogden called Discipleship Essentials. And so these guys committed for a year in a, in a discipleship triad. And about halfway through that year, there's a question in the material that said, if you could do anything for the kingdom without fear of failure, what would you do? And so I answered, well, if I knew I wouldn't fail, because I know the failure rate of church plants, maybe I might plant a church. Uh, Wasn't looking to do so, didn't even have the, you know, a plan or a dream at that time, but maybe I might plant a church in our community uh, if if I knew I was guaranteed success. They shared their responses. We moved on uh, the conversation. About six months later, uh, through some crises that were going on in our lives with some health issues, uh, transition, family issues, uh, my friend approached me and said, hey, about six months ago, uh, you mentioned a church plant. Are you for real about that? And I said, well, you know, with the right vision, the right resources, the right team of people, um, that could happen. And he said, well, my wife and I haven't stopped talking about that since you mentioned it. And I had no idea that that was the case. And so we, our two families, the four of us got together and began a season of prayer and discernment over that. And so uh, that was in 2012 and early 2013. And um, it would be later that year that I would actually quit my job and we would start what's now Redland Hills Church. Wow, that's a fascinating story. And I think it touches on something that is is kind of obvious to us who are church planning, but may not be obvious to those who look in from the outside. And, and that is that it's a journey to becoming a church planner. It's, it's uh, uh, e- even if you wake up one morning and you think, I want to be a church planner, there were still some really formative things that happened previous to that. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Amanda, what was it like from your perspective to think about that journeying process and how the kinds of time it took or maybe the questions that you guys were asking? Yeah, well, when Wes took a class uh, at Abilene, we had just moved to this area. And so he had researched what, you know, what it would be if there was a need to plant a church in the area just for class. And he talked a little bit about that. And I thought, well, that was interesting. And, um, because we had just moved to the area, I mean, I didn't know as many people in the neighborhood. And as the time went by and I, I did a lot with the school PTO with the neighborhood HOA and met more and more people and, and realized that there were a lot that just didn't 
go to church anywhere, or maybe they had gone to church before and then they moved to this area and because it's such a bedroom community and it's a distance to get to the, maybe the nearest church or back to the church they went to in the city. Um, they just didn't make the effort anymore. And, um, so as, as he started talking about this with our friends and, and and me and the other wife got involved, I, um, you know, at first you, I'm the kind of person that's like, I need the financial security. (laughs) So I'm like, you're going to quit your job, but God had somehow made a way where it just never seemed, it didn't bother me. Like it wasn't an issue for me at that moment. It was like, this is a clear path. And, um, when I had, I had been in a discipleship group with some friends at our previous church, some ladies, and one of them was, um, just a dear friend I'd known for years and was actually getting ready to go live in the the mission field. And with Wes having been our missions minister at the time, you know, he was kind of helping guide them through that process. And, she and I had gotten together. Um, this was during our time as us and the other church planning couple were going through some prayer and fasting. And when I got together with my friend from my discipleship group, we were talking and I didn't mention anything about the church plan, nothing at all, because we were still processing, just not ready to tell anybody. And she had told me that she had had a dream that we, we wouldn't be there when they went into the mission field that we wouldn't be the ones helping get them to that final phase. And she said that she felt like God was saying, that's okay. And of course, you know, cause that was a little scary for her knowing her friend wouldn't be there to help with that final phase of their journey. And um, as she was speaking that I was thinking, okay, God, so you're basically saying, I'm not going to be at this other church anymore and doing the things we've been doing. And so it, it really was like a, a release and I, I felt like, okay, this is where we're going. This is what we need to be doing. And it was sort of a confirmation for us or for me. And, um, you know, we continued on that path. And, and like I said, it just seemed like everything was just almost like God has parted the waters for our family to make this, this trek. And um, it seemed, it just seemed very clear, even with some obstacles that popped up along the way, they, they were quickly diminished and, and made, made the way. So for somebody who doesn't like change a lot, it was very, (laughs) it it was easier than I expected for, for everything that we were going through. And um, even when it came time to tell our, our families and our parents who we anticipated going, wait a minute, what are you, you're going to do what? Um, They were more supportive, I guess, than we might've imagined. They were, they of course had their questions and their um, concerns, but they carried on with this. And, and actually most of them are in our church now. (laughs) That that's tremendous. I I love hearing that story. Uh, We've got some similar ones, my my wife and I, uh, that, you know, where, where it just became crystal clear that God was behind this things came together in an instant, or we had a tremendous sense of peace about what was happening. Uh, I just, I, I I love hearing those stories. Uh, So thank you for sharing that. So I want to pull some of these things uh, together with uh, sound like you were both on some kind of a journey with discipleship groups. Uh, how, how were those happening together or were they happening in staggered kind of ways? 
Yeah, so um, I, I really began my journey into discipleship making or inviting folks strategically. Again, it was purposefully for folks that live in close proximity to me um, in my community or surrounding neighborhood within a couple of miles, um, because I really felt a conviction that Jesus command to love your neighbor. What if he really meant the people that are in closest proximity to you? You know, so many times we generalize that to people in our city or people in our state or in the world. And that's true. I mean, certainly those things apply, but I just had this conviction of being in a neighborhood. And so um, I had begun a group each year from 2011, 2012, 2013, and that really became a strategy. And so for me personally to make disciples, but in the middle of that, the church is birthed out of that. So it's a part of our DNA because it was made just three guys doing life together at six o'clock in the morning once a week. And, um, and we were not the closest of friends um, going into that, you know, and now today um, they're extremely close friends. In fact, multiple ones of those guys uh, became part of our church launch and several of them uh, remain in our church to this day. So uh, they were more, I had some guys and Amanda had some ladies. Uh, so there's a season of overlap where we're both in these types of groups, but, you know, we didn't grow up with those kinds of things. They were inspired, you know, some of the formative experiences we've had for the need for that and the desire probably birthed out of our own hunger uh, to do that in other people's lives. So, uh, so your journeys through these discipleship groups uh, help lead you into these or inform you in some way, uh, because it's not only something that's stirring in you, it sounded like you were also hearing from other people. Uh, I don't know, was it, was it confirmation or was it uh, of your thoughts or was it, uh, it inspiring new thinking? A lot of it, I think, is confirmation of thoughts, um, even with him just presenting a thought and then somebody coming back months later saying, this has really been on my heart since you said it. And then for me to hear, you know, sort of through God using somebody else's voice to relay a message that this is confirmation that we need to go on this journey, um, you know, some of it may have started a, a long time ago with, you know, maybe just having the idea of church planning is a thing. Um, and then over time becoming more confirmation or as he would disciples other guys and, and just mention the idea of church planning, it plants a seed in their heart. So then they would want to partner with this later down the road. Yeah. And I think uh, Jeremy, to your point a minute ago about the, the length of time, you know, the time from, my grad school paper and research in 2006 to actually taking action or feeling a calling was 2013. So that's seven years. And so I think that's part of the discipleship journey as well, right? Listening to God, receiving hints along the way. And then sometimes there's, you know, God eventually is pushing us out of the nest and making things so uncomfortable so that we have no other way to turn, because I think we would say we eventually got to the place in 2013 where if we didn't take steps to begin the church, that we were feeling disobedient to the call of God on our life. So we had to respond to that in, in some way. 
and just door after door that was opening began to make clear and and make the way in surprising ways. You know, we uh, didn't anticipate things being as smooth as they wound up being for us. We just kind of stepped into some things amazingly. I'm wondering if your journey, if there was ever a point in your journey where uh, you found yourselves on, on a different page from each other, uh, like one, one of you was more into it and one of you was less into it, you know, just kind of going back and forth that way. Or was it, you know, all, you were kind of in step with each other all along the way? For the most part, in step. Um, I think the only times we would probably have disagreed or been a little out of step would be just informing how things would look, for example, on a Sunday morning, where kids would be during the worship service, how we would disciple kids, because that's a big part of what I am, you know, really involved with and um, and how we wanted to incorporate um, that and how we wanted to teach families, discipling families to then disciple their own children. And um, and it wasn't that it was disagreements, I guess. It was just, how's that look? Because coming from a big church where you have the full onslaught of every kind of kids activity there is to a small congregation of, you know, just a handful of people able to do different things and just maybe even a handful of kids. It's how do you incorporate um, what that's going to look like? And um, some sometimes we would maybe have different ideas on that. But other yeah, than that. I, I was coming from a church of over a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never grown up in a small church and I she had. grew up in a church <laughs> of 50 people in a small town. And so, but we needed both of those perspectives. Uh, you know, I think both insights um, are incredibly valuable, especially, you know, her coming from a small church. And that's what we were starting with. I mean, our launch Sunday, we started with 53 people. And um, and, and began the journey uh, that way. And, you know, during those days, there's a, a sense of intimacy and community um, and planting seeds, you know, that would be harvested through the years. Cause it's really uh, a journey of perseverance and endurance, just like our, our walk with Christ to, to be patient as seeds that are harvested because we would build relationships with people in our neighborhood and the school or um, networks that we have here. And sometimes it'd be three or four years mm-hmm. before a person would ever express any interest in what we were doing, or they would hear about it. And we would see a seed harvested that was years in the making. That sounds like a, a work that if you don't have something, have this already, it cultivates some patience, perhaps. In that, it sounds like that. How, how did Mission Alive help you discern or equip you for this, uh, for church planting? So at the time, Galen Van Rien was still, uh, he was the founder and uh, still the director at Mission Alive in this day. He was beginning his transition. So in 2013, where we began to feel this call and we were in this season of discernment, I called Galen on the phone and told him what God was doing in our lives. Of course, he's biased in the whole thing. He would have encouraged a, a church plant for sure. That invited us into a, a assessment, a church planting assessment a lab uh, in Dallas. And so us and our other couple flew out to Dallas to go through that assessment lab and process that journey. 
And the end result of that was, uh, this is a God thing. Uh, we want to partner together uh, with you and support you. But we hit the pause button at that time because, um, and this is kind of the spiritual attack that comes through this, because, you know, as soon as you make a decision to follow Christ in this, the enemy's, you know, right there with you, uh, pulling against you is, um, I had begun having some medical issues in particular, my thyroid was growing and, um, had some biopsies and it was undetermined whether or not I had cancer. And we were watching that through this process. And two days before we went to this assessment lab, I had a follow-up visit with a surgeon who said, you know, this has got to come out. Uh, I'm, I'm really concerned. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. Like I'm about to quit my job, you know, and plan a church. And, you know, he's telling me I need two weeks to two months of recovery. And I'm like, no, 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 you know? And, uh, and so we hit the pause button uh, during that time that was in May of 2013. And then when we got to July um, and uh, I had surgery, I actually, um, ruptured an artery post-surgery in my neck and began to suffocate um, and choke um, and um, was immediately rushed back into emergency surgery at this point to stop the bleeding that was going on in my neck. And I remember in that moment looking up at the OR lights just before they put me out for the second time and feeling a wave of peace come over me because at that point we were confirmed in our calling. Uh, we knew that God was moving us in that direction and that God was not done with me yet. And so it would be a bump in the road, but we were going to continue to persevere. And uh, so I came through the surgery, obviously, and uh, it was a couple of months of recovery for sure. And, you know, we were able to take the next steps um, in, in faith for sure. Um, through that, through that scary time and mission alive became that coaching partner with us where we had begun those assessment lab, the assessment lab into, uh, there were four labs at the time that they would lead you through where we went uh, with some other church planting couples uh, for that equipping and the conversations and the readings that were going on. And so we always explained to people, they served as coaches for us genuinely, um, that they don't own us, control us, but genuinely walk beside us in that journey of thinking through the implications and putting resources and materials in front of our hands and, and the network that we experienced with other church planters and like-minded people who were also walking a similar journey. Uh, that's a, that's an amazing story there. Uh, again, patience with the process, uh, even when the process looks like it might be uh, undone. Um, that's a, I really appreciate that. How does uh, Mission Life continue to resource you in this, in the, in church planning? Yeah. So um, I still continue to be involved with uh, now mentoring uh, future church planters and have participated in some things with them. Uh, as I've continued to grow, in fact, I just went through uh, their coaching lab a couple of weeks ago as well to continue my growth in this next level of equipping future church planters. So we, we continue to stay in regular relationship, but now our church is a contributor back towards Mission Alive as well to continue to fund 
future church planting. So it was in our heart from the very beginning when we formulated our church that part of our resources um, in our in our missions category was domestic church planting as well as international church planting. So it's it's cool to see, you know, us as bearing fruit now pouring back into the organization that helped birth us. That's really good. I like that uh, receiving and giving uh, and with the same team. That's really good. Yeah, I like seeing that too. And that that's, Wes, I'm glad you shared that because I think that's one of the things that uh, we were hoping might come out of this conversation with you guys is because you, you have one of the, the older church plants, uh, if I can say that, that within Mission Alive, uh, that, that we can see the story of how they helped you guys begin and how they've continued to walk with you to aid in your growth, but now how you guys are beginning to pour back into them as well, I think is uh, ju- just to hear you share that uh, was inspiring to me. I, 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 w- I was reflecting on something Amanda shared about like early on, you're trying to decide what are we going to do with the kids? How do we disciple kids? And uh, a question that just briefly, I'd like to have you guys share, how is your family involved in the church plan? So, so maybe uh, how's Amanda involved? How are your kids involved? Just, just feel free to share briefly. Take that. Um, So when the church plant started, our oldest was just turning nine and our youngest was about five and um our first sunday um our oldest son helped serve communion <laughs> when we didn't have a whole lot of other people to help do things and i worked the uh slides on the screen um i've always done a lot of tech stuff at church as well and um so uh that, you know, they were little enough to know, not, not be, I guess they weren't in youth group yet. So they weren't missing like their, their friends like that. And so, but they did miss their friends. They, they had friends already at church. Um, our youngest was probably the, the more concerned about changing at the time. She was a little bit like, wait, wait this isn't where I've been going. Um, but they, I think quickly started realizing that their friends from school we're coming to church with them. Our, our other church was, like I said, it was, you know, probably 25 minutes from home. And so a lot of people that they were going to church with were not friends from school. So they only saw them once a week or so. And um, so now they were seeing neighborhood friends or friends from class that they could see any, you know, Sunday and every, everywhere we were going, we were, we were really investing in the community that way. And so they, um, they, they quickly, you know, adapted, I guess. Um, now we're what, 16 and 12 and one runs the cameras and, uh, lights and tech stuff. And the other one helps in the nursery and teaches class. So, yeah, I'll just add to that and say early on, I remember our mission alive team was telling us, that the kids are not just being taken along the mission. They are equally as much a part of the mission uh, than, than the adults are. And that's true. They began to open up doors of opportunity 
just through their friend networks in the, in the neighborhood. And some of those families that are now very involved as a part of our church today were because our kids were playing with them. And when kids play together and parents meet each other, so they, they opened up doors of opportunity and, and got to speak into the process along the way, you know, to try to listen to their, uh, their concerns, uh, their hopes for, uh, what church was becoming for them. And uh, early on, and she was alluding to this a little bit, was uh, at the, our son who was in third grade at the time on a Wednesday night, you know, when we would say, when we were with our old church, okay, it's time to get ready, you know, to go into town and, and go to church. Our, our son began to realize, why do I have to leave my neighborhood friends to go to this other group of people over here. Th those worlds didn't overlap. And so it became an impediment really for engaging and, and reaching out to their friend groups. And so by doing something in the community, by doing something in our neighborhood, because our church is literally just at the foot of our neighborhood here within a couple of miles, um, that those worlds began to overlap and become more natural networks for inviting for for outreach and relationship building which is really core for us and so today we've we've always tried to utilize uh, kids as a part of you know our Sunday experience but also in mission and outreach and service and um, tried to help you know moms and dads be the primary discipler in their kids life and we're we're the partner in that but we can't do it for them mm. yeah thank you guys for sharing that I, I noticed in my pre-church planning life, when I was a traditional pastor in a, in, in a, in a church there, that it's easy to, to kind of do that as a lone ranger. But in church planning, it's been a family, uh, high family involvement, and, and, and for the better, I think. And I, I really hear that coming out in your guys' stories. So thank you again. This has been part one of our conversation with Wes and Amanda Gunn. We will return next time with part two of the conversation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this discipleship conversation. We invite you to share this episode and tune in next time for another conversation. We also invite you to subscribe and rate the podcast through your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments and questions to media at missionalive.org. Check out the episode show notes and learn more about the podcast and other Mission Alive media resources at missionalive.org media. Intro and outro music is by audionautics.com. Mission Alive works to bring about the holistic transformation of marginalized communities through starting and renewing innovative churches that address the most challenging issues faced by their neighbors. Learn more about what we do and how to connect at missionalive.org.